This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Catherine and the Hidden Treasure. The author, Chris T. Larson, joins me from Utah. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Good to be on, on with you. Our uh, pre- prior conversation before I start the, started the recording, I, uh, I found out that you are just an individual who loves to write and have written probably uh, nine or ten books, not all of them published, but this is a passion of yours. Where did the concept or the idea, the storyline, come together on Catherine and the Hidden Treasure? Oh, you know, I, like I said, I had written several books, and I, I, I just wanted to write something that was... Uh, that was made you feel good, a, a good story, not necessarily uh, Pollyannish, but something that was positive. And uh, I always, you know, I've been to New York a few times, and I always wanted to write something in that setting. And I also have always kind of been fascinated with America. You know, this this book covers the time period. Actually, it's a woman's life, and it's written in the first pers- person. And it kind of covers her life and and through a lot of America's critical history, starting really about the time of the Great Depression, and then she's a a teenager, a young woman, uh, when World War II breaks out. And uh, all through the book, you know, because it's in the first person, she will always start the chapter by telling you what's happening. It's this year, and and this is happening, and these new products came out. There's a new soda for children called 7-Up. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new product came out called Ritz Cracker or something like that. But then she gets back to the storyline, the, the the main, uh, the, the, the treasure search, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's a walk through so, history somewhat. So anyway, it was just, you know, it's just a, something I just worked on the storyline for a while, and, and, and it didn't, I didn't hurry. I really wanted to develop something that would be interesting, at one point in time, the book goes, you know, travels to Paris, and there's, uh, and and just you know, some different places. But most of the time, it's it's around um, New York, and it's taking place, um, you know, in, at different time periods. Uh, the book starts out, you know, she's she's actually an elderly woman, and she's with her daughter and her grandchildren, and and she's out for Christmas Eve in New York City. And she ends up at Grand Central Station, and this begins to bring back all these memories. And then she begins to tell her story, and and about uh, basically there's a love story involved, or even more than one love story. And and uh, she meets this uh, through through by working at her father's business. She she meets a very rich young man who is. His father is a wealthy man, and they live in the Hamptons. And and she she a natural love affair occurs between these two, and they're they're looking forward to getting married. And um, 
he has a real strong patriotic uh, vein running through him, and he, as many at that time when, when World War II broke out, many felt like, you know, they had to go and do their duty. You know, it, was, uh, it wasn't, you know, many went voluntarily. You couldn't even wait to go fight to defend the country and hmm. and what was going on. And her uh, her very rich boyfriend decides that he has to do that. And his name is Robert Collins, correct? Yes, that's correct. And so... Um, but he's got, you know, like I said, his his father owns a factory in the Hamptons, and uh, so he's he's got a lot of money that he's put away from various endowments, you know, rich aunts, whatever, have given him. He's got about twenty thousand dollars, and uh, he gets thinking that if something happens to him, he doesn't want that just to go back to his own family. He'd mm-hmm. like to give it to Catherine. But being a, of a playful nature, he decides that he's going to hide this money somewhere uh. where it's fair, he believes it's fairly safe and where Catherine can find it. And he wants her to basically go through these clues and find it before he gets back. And, of course, in the event that he doesn't come back, you know, then, then she'll have it. But uh, And he thinks it's not going to be that hard for her to, to do, but... Uh, not to give away too much of the plot or what happens, but um, Catherine will pursue this 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 treasure. And that that <laughs> is the hidden treasure. Will come about hmm. that she really needs to pursue the treasure, and and so you know this money that he's put away, and and so she she will do that. And um, well, Chris, that's that's. You, That's basically you have a very effect. vivid imagination, and uh, it also had to had to have involved some research because of the historical references you make in your book. How long did it take to complete when you uh, finally were done with the editing and done with the storyline and the plot line? Oh, I would say you know I, I was uh, I was working full time as a cost analyst, and uh, I'm a certified public accountant, and I have an MBA. I was working uh, negotiating contracts for the Air Force, and um, so it was all done as a hobby. But I would do, you know, I would dedicate, you know, certain try to try to get in so many hours a week. But um, I kind of, you know, naturally obsess when I'm writing, and what most writers do, they will obsess with a story, and even when they're not thinking about it, the mind is doing <laughs> thinking about right. it. And so, just uh, over time, you know, and ideas would come to me and how I could improve it. And this different ways and i actually finished the first draft in about 2010 and just set it aside and then uh just um my wife she uh she came she was diagnosed with uh frontal temporal dementia she began to have signs of that in 2010 or in 2009 and so i just uh i ended up uh I didn't get a I didn't get a retirement as a result of her illness, but I got a retirement because the Air Force was offering early out retirements to lighten its load, and so that gave that gave me more time to uh, go back, you know, while I was taking care of her, and and I could I could work on the story, and so I did a major uh, rewrite, whatever you want to call it, in in twenty in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, and then that's when I went to Univorce. A universe for it to be published. So, did you work off of an outline, or was this all creative process that you uh, used? Yeah, I definitely work off an outline, and I, you know, I know I have known people who say they just start writing and let the story take. Very unusual, yes. Take them where it goes, you know, where it seems to go. I've always 
even though you know I'm, it may take me a long time to perfect the outline and I might make changes to the outline during the writing process, still I, I, I've got to know where it's going to go. And, and to me, that works much better than just, you know, I, I've tried the other side and it ends up, you know, I don't connect things as well if I do that. You know, it ends up more of a ramble. But I know there are people that can do it, and, and that's fine if that works for them. I'm a person who likes to have walls around things, you know. Right. You know, a certain amount of structure in that. Even though, you know, people who read this book, they they say that I did put in there some totally unforeseen twists in the story, and that, that they really liked the fact that I did that. They're you know, it, it's it's not a the predictability isn't high as you get into the first chapter. So exactly where this is going to go, and that really would be impossible. There'll be several subplots that'll work through the book as well. With uh, you know, Catherine will eventually have some children, and, and just different things, and, and and different things that take place. You know, there there are lots of you know different things working inside the story. When you uh, began to write this, did you have a particular audi- audience in mind? Is this for a younger audience, older audience? How would you describe your your ideal reader? I would just say, you know, not not like not like youth, but although you know some young people read it and liked it, but uh, I would just say anybody from you know say late teens, you know, on out, and because uh, it does cover the woman's whole life, and I. I really wanted to, I talked about the time frame that it takes place, and I I really wanted to reflect in the story um, the values of America and how over time they have changed and how Catherine and her her family, what, what kind of values, you know, they held as, as Americans in those days. Like I said, you know, the willingness to quickly go to war and, and volunteer Correct. and everybody's got to go do their duty kind of a thing. Um, just you know, through through when Woodstock happened, and they didn't live far from there, and 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 you know, she, Catherine had such different standards that were taking place, you know, the people skinny dipping Woodstock and different things, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and so it just kind of you 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 get a sense for the changes in in, in America and kind of its values over time as well as you go through the story. Of course, Catherine, you know, she's like I said, she's raised uh, during the Great Depression. And she has very strong Judeo-Christian values, and and those are always. It's not a preachy book, and she never, you know, gives any type of a religious sermon, so to speak. But her life speaks those kind of values, and that's what I tried to do, and just just to give people an idea that you know there was a time when just about everybody, you know, tried to live in a, in, a, in what we used to call a normal family. Right. You know, uh, an Aussie and Harriet or a, or Leave it to Beaver, you know, where you had a mom and a dad, and, and most of the women did stay home and take care of the family, and most of the dads were able to provide for their family, you know, with their career, and not to criticize anything, because, you know, uh, the necessities come about that more women had to enter the workplace, basically, to, to maintain just a basic family lifestyle. It just became more difficult for, unless a man had a really good education, it became more difficult for them to be able to make a single living that would provide for the family. So but basically, it, it just goes, it just tracks through time. Over those years, you just see the changing values in America and, and, and what they were back in those days. Really want to present to, to people who have only grown up in this, you know, maybe since, maybe they were born in 1960 or 70. 
or even 1980 mm-hmm. to, to, to go back and read those. You know, maybe they've been on this planet 30 years, and, and all they've known is, you know, what's happened, you know, since, say, 1975 or, or 1985. And they're really not aware of what that what that uh, more simple life was in those days, and 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 uh, you know when, when real patriotism too, you know, I'm, I, patriotism is projected by a lot of people these days. But in those days, you know, you proved your patriotism; you just didn't express your patriotism, kind right. of a thing. It, it contains basic what what we used to call the the basic original American values and traditions, so to speak. Did, it, did you include you know, any, any without action? Without being critical of, of changes that have come about. Did you include any action scenes in in, in your novel, or is this uh, primarily character-driven, and is that the the result of uh, what a reader is going to find? There are there are some action scenes in there. There are some surprise things and, you know, just scuffles, <laughs> a few scuffles, <laughs> Yeah. Things, things like that that you just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't expect. But uh, you know, the, it's basically the suspense. You know, it's it, it, there's the suspense of Catherine looking for the treasure, and actually, you know, she's looking in different places. She's not just looking around some house or something. That may be part of it, but she's looking. And he was very clever in in different places that he that he took her to, that they spent time together, and she will end up, you know, trying to find clues to this treasure in in botanical gardens or in, you know, different places where they went where she'll... What, it, what, what he did is he told her that the clue to where the treasure was hidden was somewhere in... It was from a gift that he had given her. Well, he had given her several gifts. He had given her locket. He had given her chocolates he'd given her clothing different things and so she's got these gifts and she's trying to figure out from these gifts that robert gave her where this where he may have put this treasure and so those are the things that she ponders that give her the give her the ideas of where she might look and and again there are different venues and there's different suspenseful things that takes place when she goes to each of those venues you know she's she's not always uh you know it's you know it's you have to read the book to see what of I course. mean, but but uh, she will she will go to these different places and sometimes you know um, I, I don't want to give away too much about you know how much time passes as she looks or whatever, but uh, incidents will happen at those at those different venues and so it's that that in that way there there is action and but mostly you know suspense and and I think the most people who read the book you know. Like I say, it'll cover a lifetime, and and what they'll get from it is what a, what a real life is about. Because as much as we we all want to, you know, have a, a a smooth life where we get, you know, we we have a family, we raise our kids, we have a job, a good job, all of these things happen. What really ends up happening is life. You know, illness happens, uh, job loss happens. Um, Real trials come about in people's lives. Someone, you know, uh, someone goes to jail in the family or something like that. Someone that does something, and it's kind of it's kind of her way she reacts to these trials. You know, I mean, I mean, it's it's she has real reactions of sorrow and frustration and all of these things that happen. But the you know the thing about it is, you know, she just has this attitude, you know, that she doesn't become bitter and she doesn't ever give up. She just keeps moving forward and so that 
there's, there's that story that kind of carries the storyline along. And that's, that's really the underlying message, too, isn't it? Uh, don't give up. Keep trying, and, and uh, you'll get to your goal. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, your attitude about, about what happens to you means everything about how, what your life will be like after that. You know, if you, if you, you know, if she, it, early on in the story, she will, something will happen to her and she will, she will kind of express some bitterness toward God and, and, and she's with her mother and, and, you know, her, and it just, and from then on, you know, she, she, she learns, she begins to learn about what's life, you know, and, and what, what, what do you take away from life and, and, you know, as it moves along and she discovers how quickly life moves along in these trials, and she just takes on that attitude that, you know, what's really important and what really isn't all that important, really what it boils down to. And, and she will, she will come through with the right perspective about, you know, in the end, you know, you may, you may have gained much, you may have lost much or everything, but, you know, what has it done to you? What is all of the effect of all these events? What have they created in you? What what is your character the same? Are you more compassionate because you've had to struggle on your you know you've had to struggle for struggle through all of these different trials and you ha- and you you have more empathy for people who are going through through hard things. Um, you, you know, do you freak out because certain things happen, or do you do you learn to kind of roll with the punches and 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 always look for that silver lining that you know something good still could come out of this and. And you know, for well, that kind of thing. I, you know, I love the I love the premise of your book, and and the story, of course, really has uh, an intriguing concept behind it. The title again is Catherine and the Hidden Treasure. Uh, had me totally. Uh, you have me spellbound just listening to the uh, basic plot concept. And the author Chris T. Larson, who has joined me from Ida, uh, from I'm sorry, from. Uh, uh, from um, Utah. Utah. Yes, thank you. Almost Idaho. Almost Idaho. So, uh, Chris, <laughs> pretty, we're, we're pretty far north. We're, we're almost where, where <laughs> 50 miles. We, where can we get a copy of your book? Uh, you, you can order it on Amazon, and you can order it on Barnes & Noble, and uh, you can get it in either hardbound or paperback. And uh, there are some customer reviews out on Amazon. You can you can read some, some real uh, responses from people who have read the book, and so... It is available out there, and you can order it directly from my universe as well. Excellent. Uh, are the characters in here? Do they have uh, any standing? Is there a possibility of a sequel to this book, or are you heading in another direction on the next one? Yeah, I would definitely hitting hitting or heading in another direction. I'm. I've actually uh, I kept a journal of this this six years that my wife has been ill and mm. and all of our experiences and and what the emotional side of taking care of her she hasn't even been able to talk to me for oh. over a couple years and so that's that's my next I've been working on that and I have a few hundred pages written and so eventually you know I I will probably pursue uh, at least sharing that with the family if not trying to have it published on a on a broader basis. Well, our thoughts are with you on that uh, journey that you're under as well. And uh, congratulations on the completion of this particular book that you're sharing with the world, Catherine and the Hidden Treasure. Our guest, Chris T. Larson. Thank you, Chris, for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you, Jay. I enjoyed it. appreciate you as well. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. 
So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Second Greatest Baseball Game Ever Played. And our author, who joins me from the east coast of the United States, I believe it's North Carolina, is Drew Bridges. Welcome, sir, to North the program. North Carolina. It is North. I knew it was North Carolina. I just thought I would check to see if you're awake over there, sir. Thank you for joining me today, Drew. Happy to be here. This uh, back of your book talks about the Brooklyn Dodgers and the defeated New York Yankees in the seventh game of the 1955 World Series. That was considered to be the, the greatest baseball game ever played. You talk about the second greatest baseball game ever played. Share your observations on why this book got written and a little of the title. Well, the, uh, the Dodgers-Yankee game you mentioned is my take on the greatest baseball game ever played, but the hook of the book is that you get to decide what you think is the greatest baseball game ever played, and I won't argue with you. But I will insist on what is the second greatest baseball game. That was a baseball game I played in when I was 10 years old in Hildebrand, North Carolina, western North Carolina, a game that my dad organized for 10 to 14-year-olds, and it was a key moment in the founding of Little League Baseball in that community. Phenomenal. This is biographical in nature, then, and the story that you have penned is 154 pages. Is this your first book, Drew? No, it's my third. Your third book. Your other books, what did they deal with? Were they also nonfiction? Uh, one was about. One was a novel dealing with a young man's search for secrets in his family, and the other was a book about storytelling. Interesting. You uh, have not always been an author. You have another uh, professional background in addition to being an author. Did you want to share any of that uh, story, and how did that how did that fit into this story that you've told on the second base second greatest baseball game ever played? Well, originally I was an English major, and then I lost my nerve about being able to earn a living as an English major, so I went to medical school and ended up practicing psychiatry for almost forty years. Now I'm in the process of retiring and restoring myself as an English major. Incredible. The story that you have penned about your life and the baseball game that impacted your life, how long did it take to to go back to that particular day and uh, recall all of the events associated with the story? Well, the process here was that when my father died in 1997, I found myself in possession of uh, about a hundred letters that he wrote to my mother from World War II, Italy, 1944-45. And as I read the letters, I always knew I was going to do something with them. 
but I really had to scratch my head about how to make it into a real story. What I ended up doing was taking 16 of the letters where the main content was what he wanted his life to be like when he got back home. I contrasted that with my knowledge of what his life was like when he got back home and told this uh, soldier-come-home-from-war story um, from from that uh, point of view. There are some lessons, life lessons, that also come out in your book, obviously. What do you feel is the life lesson that is paramount in the story that you tell? Well, my father's life started out uh, somewhat difficult. He um, he ended up in an orphanage by the time he was 10 years old, and um, that was... <laughs> To, to say how bad this was, that was some of the best time of his life when he was in the orphanage. Mm. And then, you know, his journey carried him through uh, being a soldier and uh, then coming home from war and making a real contribution to the lives of people in his community. So if there's if there's a lesson is that a uh, otherwise somewhat everyday, ordinary man who didn't have a great start in life can can end up making a real contribution <clears throat> to the lives of others. Your your life doesn't have to be uh, destroyed or ruined by a really tough beginning. Did he have a, a what would be termed a, 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 a well-educated career, or was it a, a standard every day, go to work in the morning, come home, and, and uh, be a dad at he, night? He was, uh, he was actually the night shift foreman in a bakery uh, in the cake department for his entire working life. Incredible. Which gave him freedom during the day to coach baseball. Um, Don't know when he slept. (laughs) (laughs) That is a challenge in itself. I I don't do well with night work, and uh, that's an amazing accomplishment to, to consistently and efficiently carry out a career like that. When you began to write this, who did you hope to reach with this message, this story? I think there are several what I would call natural markets for this book. First of all, I think anyone who enjoys reading your basic baseball book is going to enjoy this because it does tell the entire story of a six-inning Little League baseball game, every pitch, every out. Um, It's also... As I said, you know, a soldier come home from war story. You know, from Homer's Odysseus to today's wounded warrior, the soldier come home to build a life beyond war is uh, is, is one of the oldest uh, stories ever told or ever ever lived. So, if if you like those stories, I think you'll like this book. Uh, it's also a father son memoir, and it's also very southern. If you speak uh, rural South, you'll uh, I think you'll enjoy some parts of this book. The way you write also is conversational, and uh, it's not fictional in its style, but it has that, that element of it. It's not um, hard facts. It's, it's a story that's been weaved throughout your book. Uh, the first paragraph that I noticed, you uh, begin it like this. I walked out of my third-grade class into a lovely springtime day in 1957, and I heard someone call my name. Hey, Drew, wait up a minute, will you? And you go into this dialogue between other characters in the story. Uh, that pulls me into the action. Is there an action scene that you have included in here in addition to the relationships that you are building? Well, that scene actually literally took place. That was three boys in the community who 
were looking for a way to get to Hickory to play Little League Baseball. And their interest in me was the fact that my dad drove a Ford Woody station wagon. And that station wagon was their only hope to get to Hickory to play Little League Baseball. And that's that's the way it all started. Was there some self-discovery in, in completing this book? Did you maybe uncover some things you hadn't really thought of in many years? Well, my um, as, as, as the book says this is my father's soldier come home from war story it's it's the life he wanted and it's the life he got and when i read his letters i didn't recognize that man Mm. uh he changed a lot from the time he came home to the time i was able to have memories about him um i guess having five kids can change your hopes and dreams um but he made the best of it, and he uh, he made a real contribution to those around him. And how would you introduce this story to someone that uh, doesn't know that you're an author, but meets you at the local coffee shop and finds out you've actually penned a book? What would be your capsule capsulization of the story itself? I would say, would you enjoy reading a soldier come home from war story that is about baseball and takes the form of a psychological memoir. Is there one scene in here that you think is going to grab the reader more than others? Well, I'm having a hard time picking out one particular scene, but uh, uh, there's actually a scene I wish I had written that I didn't read, that I, that I remembered after the book. Hmm. And it was when my uh, my father was trying to talk the local principal into letting him use the high school baseball field. And the principal was giving all kinds of uh, excuses why that was a bad idea, one being, who's going to buy the gloves for all these boys? And my dad's response was, "Uh, Mr. McNeely, you you might not understand the families in this community quite as well as, as as you should, because if you did, you'd know that there's three things that every family in this town has they have a bible they have a rifle and they have a baseball club (laughs) wonderful a wonderful story wonderful reflection of uh, your dad i'm sure that it uh, brings joy to you and it should bring a lot of joy to the readers as well were there some challenges in getting this completed you know the hardest part of it was writing the baseball part because i wanted to write this for people who didn't necessarily understand or appreciate baseball that much so i did i did a good bit of trying to explain why i think baseball is the most interesting game despite some beliefs to the contrary so i wanted to write it for people who who might not understand the mechanics of catching a fly ball or understand what signs are but i also didn't want to make it I didn't want to over-explain it and bore the real baseball enthusiast. So finding that middle ground between uh, explaining and over-explaining, was, uh, I spent a lot of time on that. Is the primary focus 1957? Is that the time frame of this story? Well, each chapter begins with a letter from Italy. So... There is one time frame of 44-45, but the rest of the action uh, is based in the mid-50s. 
You've described your book uh, as, in one respect, or at least given this insight, that in imperfect and most ordinary ways, man can have a profound and positive influence on the lives of others. So you don't have to be perfect is what you're sharing in your story. Correct. And um, <clears throat> the book uh, has an uh, an ending of a uh, a testimonial by another boy in town who, who lives some of this, uh, um, who gave a speech at one of his uh, high school reunions about my father that I, that I didn't even know about until uh, Gary, my friend, uh, uh, wrote to me and told me about this. So, uh, so his, his influence uh, um, impacted a lot of people. Phenomenal story, and it must have been a joy once it was completed to look back and see what your father had accomplished. The title of the book, again, is The Second Greatest Baseball Game Ever Played. Our author, Drew Bridges, has no, has joined us from North Carolina. Drew, where can my listeners get a copy of this wonderful work? The book is available in all formats on the major online booksellers. Uh, iUniverse, uh, also Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Or if you want to make a trip to North Carolina and come by the bookstore that I run, I'll give you a signed copy. I own and operate a bookstore as part of my uh, restoring myself to English major status. Drew, you mentioned the bookstore, but uh, you didn't give us the name of the store or where it's located. I um, own and operate a one of these small independent bookstores that doesn't make any money, um, along with my lovely wife, Lauren, in the town of Wake Forest, North Carolina, near Raleigh. It's called the Storyteller's Bookstore. Phenomenal. Drew, you have a charming story that you've written and a fascinating uh, present and past. Love the, the concept of your book and the uh, content are wonderful. Again, the story, the second greatest baseball game ever played. Drew Bridges has been my guest. Thank you, sir, for joining me and sharing your story. It's been a pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Provocative title, Finishing School for Women. And you'd think this is written, written by a, a lady author, but it's not. It's written by 
male author who joins me from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Roman Plastiche. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. This is interesting from several viewpoints. Uh, first of all, interesting that a gentleman would step in and take on a topic that may be controversial. Finishing school for women implies that women need a little bit of hints and need some help when it comes to relationships. How did this book get written? What was your motivation behind it? Well, uh, actually, motivation was when I broke up with my girlfriend a few years, and uh, it was just the weird dream that I had that night, which was black and white, and I was being black. It was just one of those things when you just kind of go, wow. And then uh, I just started thinking about it. I always had a thing for, you know, about analyzing people just, just for fun and thinking. And I started thinking, like, why do why do I do this? Why do I hurt her? And myself, and why do men do this? And, you know, I start analyzing my own actions, and I start writing them down. And once I start writing it down, it just, things just start coming out. And then I thought, you know what? This might actually be beneficial to some couples, and especially women, to, to realize how the really men think and, and behave, you know, to give them some tools and... and, and, and knowledge of how to better handle their own man right right so your your own relationship yes your book then is is directed towards guys and women then even though it's called a finishing school for women yes but it's it's, it's a mostly a manual for women you know and then once the women start applying these techniques you know men will get in line <laughs> we just we just usually we are usually good and convincing our women that they need us more than we need them. Yes, but most of the time that's not the case. You have uh, chapters and uh, and ideas that you have uh, talked about in your book. The first area is understanding yourself and what you are looking for, and that's uh, when a woman is looking for a man, I guess, and then creating an environment for the right man. What did you discover about online dating and other aspects of dating for a single woman? Well, the most important thing for women is that they need to be approachable. Because for men, it's very hard to approach women in public places and just, you know, come up and say, hi, how are you? You know, we feel weird. We don't want to be rejected. And, and you know, a little smile, a little look goes a long way. It's a lot of encouragement. So, you need women need to be approachable when they're out. I would always compare to shopping. How many times women will go shop for jeans and they come with a you know a sweater and a nice oh you know it was on sale. I noticed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed it because you looked around. Right. But when you walk into the zone shop, see although you don't see anybody trying to pay attention to you, you're just very focused on that coffee. So being approachable, being open to situations, you know, going for a meet or two doesn't mean anything. You're just open to open to new 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 things. That's that, that's the main thing, I would say, for women to be. And for a guy, it, it you know, men are very, uh, I guess, first impression oriented. If they think someone is attractive, what they call attractive, then they they immediately are uh, drawn to them. Is there a way to get beyond being superficial in the dating relationship, either men or women? 
Well, you know, I'm not a, one of those, what they call those uh, pickup artists, because I, I really don't believe in that. Good luck to them. And, you know, there's techniques, and you can learn those from them where you can impress the women and get them to whatever, either date you or take them to bed or anything. Uh, but uh, I believe more is, you know, you just come up open and simple, because trying to impress a woman for a long time, well, just simple way, easy way. If she if she doesn't expect it, hey, that's okay. There is another woman and another approach. And, you know, if, if what I would say, I would say quantity will bring quality. It doesn't mean, you know, you have to have sexual relationships with, but go for a date, see, talk, find the interest, and especially when you're on the date, please don't talk business. Hmm. Just talk about things that you'd like to do. Like, what would you do if you're financially independent? Then you see the real character. Then you see what the people would do with their, all that free time. Then you see what they really enjoy. You know, Leave the business out. Leave the family out. Leave the, your ex-girlfriend. Nobody wants to be compared to ex-girlfriend. Leave those things out. Just talk about the hobbies and pleasures in your life. And that, that, that will show a lot of a character. You know, How would you spend $50 million if you wanted a lot of That will show a lot of character and a lot of things about you. Those are some good ideas. Uh, now, for uh, the people who will read your books, uh, is this something that a teenager would in, would would benefit from, or is this for an older lady, a young lady, maybe in her twenties or thirties, that might be in the dating field? Yes, I would say more the the women that are, have a little bit of experience and they just don't fall crazy, you know, teenager love. Women in their mid twenties and up to the, you know, up to their seventies, eighties. There is things that we can, that women can use about themselves to to to, to make their lives better and, and 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 to enjoy more of things they do and you know to stand up to their to their man and say you know what there is it's my time too I want to enjoy life I'm not just here to serve you so I would say yes women from their you know mid twenties and up now let let teenagers go to there. Yes, you have you have a chapter that you titled, which I think I understand what you might be approaching, but you have it titled "You Can Look but Don't Touch." That's uh, on page one hundred and fifteen. What is the the idea yeah. that you have there? Well, it's uh, you know we we have explanations for many things we do. It's like uh, you know no big deal, or uh, and even women to say to look at another woman, you know, as long as you know. You know, check out another guy, and she would say, you know, if I wasn't with you, that's the kind of man I would go for. Hmm. You know, most of us would look like, if you care for that woman, we would not be very happy. But that means, yeah, I'm looking looking because there's nothing else I can do. So I was in, in a different city, and there was no way that nobody would ever find out, and no way that my wife would find out and take half of everything I have through the divorce. Yeah, I'd be doing more than just looking. So things like that, I don't, I, you know, they're not as, 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 as simple as this. Well, Roman, how long did it take you to assemble all of your ideas and your concepts and put them into writing? Well, it, you know what? Once I, had, once I had my names of my chapters and I just, it's pretty much everything in the true story about somebody, somebody out of my life and I'm coming from the car, you know, manipulating what a man is supposed to be a man and a woman is supposed to be a woman, but not in a really primitive 
it's been kind of a, 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 the things really feel like you hear singers, not a mood and not a, any any artistic soul, but this is something that I lived through. I, it is the way of life for me, people I socialize with, and it just it just flew. It took me it took me a, a few maybe three four months to a while to get it get it published from there. Uh, are there any characters that you have uh, written about in your book? They may be fictitious, but may be drawn from real life. I, I noticed that you have a Steve and a Sasha. Are those uh, real people, or what is their story? Oh, absolutely. Every one of them, only the names are changed. Only the names have been changed, and I know the people I'm talking about will recognize themselves. And so I use the camp for it was before their time. But all these characters in the book, besides the names, are true. Some of even my own. At 152 pages, why is your book different from other books that deal with dating and uh, male-female relationships? Well, I think I'm very direct. Okay, I'm very straightforward. I'm not trying to appeal to my audience. I'm not there to be your best friend, to be your shoulder to cry on. You know, I'm not full of compassion and understanding. You know, nobody can do it for you. You have to be in that in that frame of mind where you want to make a change. Because staying in a bad relationship or breaking a bad habit, you know, stop repeating the bad choices. It's like any bad bad, uh, bad uh, addiction you can have, alcohol, cigarettes, or anything else. You know, you have to make the decision to change it because nobody can do it for you. What I'm doing is providing you with the tools and and how to do it, you know, and Taking away that fear of what can it be, what's going to happen if I stay alone and, you know, and trying to make you realize that, yes, you do deserve better. So what to look for, what to do so you don't fall into that same predicament again, okay? And I didn't try, I don't want to overload this book with, uh, you know, some repetitions and, and, and doing the same, same samples over and over, but I did repeat Quite a few times, things that I found important, like be ready to walk away, okay? And you do have a power, you know? So I, I see mine as a simple a simple manual, what you need to know and what you need to do. The title of the book is Finishing School for Women. Women must take charge. Love with your heart, rule with your mind. Learn how to manipulate so you don't be manipulated and our author, Roman Pastiche. Sir, are you planning a second book or follow-up book to this one? You know what? I just I said what I had to say, but we see what future brings. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen yeah. in the future. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for writing this book and for sharing your story. Uh, where do we get copies of your book, Roman? just came out about a month ago, so I don't think it's in any store right now, but through iUniverse Online and uh, through the Amazon, I think, and all the other electronics. Electronic media, yes, and they can request it at their local bookstore yes. if they want to look for Finishing School for Women. That's Absolutely. a bold title and uh, certainly a bold, um, I guess, and a courageous bit of writing for a guy to take on. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me on. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker.
iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.